Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. This is Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown, joined today by William Gilchrist of Consig, formerly of Google. We're going to talk about storytelling and storytelling as sales. So we're based here in Asia, and we're all familiar now with the rise of Asia, Asian innovation, Asian startups. But what is it that American startups have that the Asians don't have so much now? We know that the Asian startups lead in innovation, but why is it we still buy brands like Apple? Or why is it that Google still dominate in the world? Well, we're going to go and look at the whole idea of storytelling and how important that is for sales, for marketing, for the whole pitch for your company. All coming up in the next 45 minutes on Asia Tech Podcast. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Yeah, Asia Tech Podcast. This is Graham Brown and William Gilchrist from Consig back in the studio. Back. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really excited. I'm glad to have you back. You're a man I like to have a good riffraff with. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be back. This is awesome. I was waiting for my time to come back on. So. Yeah, you got invited back on. Well, you know why? Because what I'm trying to do here on Asia Tech Podcast now is I'm trying to help Asia find its voice. So a big mm. part of that podcasting, storytelling, mm. that whole pitching thing, these are skills which, you know, not necessarily found in spades in Asia. So we're trying to train the market a little bit, but also change the mindsets a little bit here because we're in Singapore, not necessarily known for great salespeople, is it? So, you know. Oh, well, you know, there's great salespeople everywhere. They just have to want it themselves. Right. Well, we have to make them thirsty. Well, that doesn't know what sales is. You know, I mean, well, that, that is why we're here. That is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what sales is and isn't. You are a sales guy. Salesperson. Through and through. Through and through. Proud. Are you proud? Absolutely. Every day. What was the first thing you ever sold for money? First thing I ever sold for money. I would say for a job. Mm. I didn't know I was a salesperson at the time, but I was director of admissions of my old high school. It was after I left China and went back to the States for a year. And I had to sell an all boys Catholic school education to teenagers. Wow, that was just, I mean, they in high school. Buying it out of your hands, surely. Yeah, I mean, I had to sell grandmas. I mean, I, I knew the stakeholder management, you know, selling the grandmother, selling the mom, selling the, the dad on the idea of fraternity and all that. And then you kind of get back wait, wait. to the boy. All, then, all Catholic, all boys education. It was my alma mater. I, I went there myself. I was a right. graduate. So I was a representative of the school because yeah. I was an alum and I just got back from China. And they were like, we want you to represent the school, like raise the admissions. I was able to set a 10-year record there, but that was a sales role because you talk to a 15-year-old boy and you're saying, don't go to this co-ed school. Mm. Don't go to this super charter school next door. Come to this small kind of fraternity style all male oh boy, Catholic yeah, that, that's, that, that bit, isn't it? That bit, that sort of... It's tough. Right. It's, so it's how do you sell that? What's the key in doing that? Because you must have realized you're not going to compare apples with apples in this. You've got to come in and sell something else, right? Well, um, I sold the idea of identity. I sold... One, I was an alum of the school. So I had to make sure that my presentation was showing, like, look, this is what I've done with my career. This is the direction that I was trying to take things. I was able to have international experience. I was able to go to Bowdoin College, mm. which is one of the top tier schools in America for university. Um, the school had 100% graduation rate and college acceptance rate So for 10 years. So it had amazing stats. A 15-year-old boy doesn't care about any of that, <laughs> right? But one thing that was very interesting um, about the, uh, I would say, the single gender education was that I was really pushing the idea of that fraternity vibe. Right. You yeah. are the mm-hmm. you are now a it's the school's called Hales Franciscan. You're a Halesman. You're a Spartan now. And what happens is when you're a Spartan, and which is true, you get a lot of respect around the city yeah. because we had our uniforms, very distinct uniforms, red sweaters. The co ed schools, well, you know, if you have to sell the idea of girlfriends, it's like, well look, you know, the co ed schools, they see those guys every day. They see you with your red sweater, your tie your khakis, you're, special. you're getting on the bus. Wow, you're well, you're a Hales guy. <laughs> and whenever the school would have a party or a school dance, well, 
every girl in every public school in the area was dying to get into these dances because they're like, well, who are these boys that are amazing at football and basketball? Our sports teams were phenomenal because we're all guys, right? So it was like really intense. And it was a fascinating sell because they started to realize, wow, it's true. Actually, being in this group, you can focus on education and focus on your schooling, play sports as rough house as much as you want. And then after school or when you're outside, you have a brand. Mm. You are this kind of uh, Spartan 300 thing, right? <laughs> Which uh, adds to the mystique. So it was, uh, it's, it's a tough sell, but you have to sell the parents and the grandparents for sure. Right, but who are you actually selling there? Because that's interesting. I mean, this is something that we'll come into about sales generally is that sometimes there's more than one people involved. In, so there's, you know, there's a, a, you know, especially if you're selling software to large organizations, it's a It's an enterprise sale. Right. It's an enterprise, it's an enterprise sale. sale. So, is that what you learn? Enterprise selling, selling well, to grandmas? And... In, in, in a way, it's an enterprise sale. Because if you're selling an enterprise, right, you, you have your key stakeholder, the individual that you're trying to sell, your decision maker. Yeah. But around that, you have procurement, you have marketing, you have engineering, you have users. all these different people. You yeah. have users, you have the uh, tech team that you need to sell all of them on the idea differently for one purpose. You know the decision maker is bought in, but you can need to sell everyone around it. So here, the decision maker is not the student. The decision maker is usually the mother. Right. Mm. So you're selling the mother on the idea of this secure, um, make a man type education. Mm. Right. And then what you have to do from there is that's not going to work for the students. So you have to sell the fraternal element of it, the sports, the, the, the education as well, and also the social element as well. Other schools are dying to, 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 to see you and to be around you. Yeah. Then you have to sell the father and the idea of this is going to support your focus. You can have to sell the grandparents on, hey, look, you know, your grandchild is going to do just fine, going to get into great schools. and So it was an enterprise sell, like you would sell an IBM because you need to talk to different departments right. or different people who have a stake in this differently. So it, that was my first sell. And were say. you good at it? I set a 10-year record, actually. Right, what does that mission. mean? So, so that means you were the best. I don't know if I'm the best now, but I was in 2009, for well, sure. Right? Yeah, I'm in 10 years of path, so. I had, a, I had a good run. I had a good right. run that year, but at, at that point, they were going to promote me to be vice principal, and then I moved to Singapore. I was like, I, I'm not going to go into school administration. Right. And did so. you enjoy it? I loved the idea of the conversation. Yeah. You know, I loved uh, the fact that I was speaking my truth. I was never selling anything that wasn't true. Mm. I wasn't pitching the school with any kind of a lie or any kind mm. of a, uh, let me get one over on you, or I'm going to try to convince you on this. I was just stating what the value was, what was happening. Hey, look, this is why this place has been cool for me. Yeah. I experienced it. And also, this is why you guys should find some interest in it as well. So, that's why I liked it the most is that I could be completely truthful mm. and also mention the faults. Like, yeah, it is yeah, it's all male education. Yeah, you do have to tuck in your shirt. You will get a detention if you don't have it. All these are true. But why that's cool and why that's fun as well. Mm. So li- living your truth, I think, was the most fun about it. And it's importantly a story, isn't it, that you were telling? Because it's a story that you've lived and you are the social proof, the product of that. And it's a story you're now telling with your heart, with true conviction because you've gone through this right this this system this school and now you're talking to all the stakeholders about that to what what extent were you actually storytelling when you were sitting in front of the 15 year old kid or grandma or whatever the whole time i was a walking story right i was the story did somebody train you in that or does that come naturally i I, well it was just it was it was naturally there. I mean, I I think that I don't even see it as a skill set in that context because it was just the absolute truth. I mean, mm. I could sit there and say I graduated from here, and this is what I did since graduation. This is how I had gotten to that school, and actually, my story was was um, one of those stories that was it had a little bit of hardship in it as well early on, right. and I was able to kind of showcase what was my that? progression. So actually, I went to a school. Oh, this is gonna be fun, actually. Do it. I went to a Go school on. called. You're Saint a storyteller. Ig- I went to a school called Saint Ignatius College Preparatory, and Saint Ignatius College Preparatory was one of the is one of the top Catholic schools in Chicago, and um, I failed out of the school, and the. A lot of the reason why I felt out is that I just wasn't prepared for it. I mean, there were just some elements in that school that just really, I just was not, at a 15-year-old boy, I was not really that organized, right? Mm. Um, so I'd say probably 30% me, 70% the system kind of was pushing me out of that school quickly, even down to where the principal said, well, just because you failed out of here, it doesn't mean that you're a 
failure. And right. I was like, wow, like mm. whoever said I was a failure. I never, I never <laughs> even at 15, I was like, that's weird. So right. I ended up leaving. Uh, Hales Franciscan took me in. I ended up uh, going to summer school and then got a 4.3 GPA out of there and got into one of the top schools. Mm. Um, and then so had a great time at Hales, uh, played golf. Um, throughout high school. Um, this doesn't sound like a hardship story mm -hmm. now. Well, in high school, it was great. Right. Um, but that first failure yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the in my freshman year was embarrassing. I mean, it was the first time I ever saw my mom be like, oh my God, like what, like, what yeah. is, is my son able to do this? Like, mm -hmm. and he was to that level. And I'm like, you know, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm off. I think I just made a mistake. I'm, I think right. I'm kind of young, right? Um, I like video games. <laughs> so, um, but being able to graduate from there, and I, I would tell every an initiate in school this story, right? I, I went from that, I joined the school, I was able to understand the idea of fraternity, the idea of history, mm -hmm. the, the idea of you know, discipline, and the school really built me up to be prepared for school, probably for, for university. And then getting into a school like Bowdoin, which is a very, very, very um, hard school to get into, and it's a liberal arts school, being able to go through that graduate, do well there, and then go off into my international career, I would say a lot of it spans from Hales Franciscan. Mm. So I was able to kind of, that story was how I started most of my conversations, which was based on my personal experience with that school and how it practically just saved my life. I mean, it brought me into a space of having the right mindset, having that kind of business acumen, and also that security of that fraternal feeling, like mm. everybody in the school, students and staff kind of had your back. And that was a big sell for the kid as well, because you know, the kids right. figure stuff out. Yeah. And it's like, look, we're, 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 we're here. This is, you're, you're joining something that's beyond reading a book every day. This is a team of people that's here to develop you in whatever which way you want to go. So if you would compare your approach and as a top sales guy, salesperson, compared to, say, an average person who was still selling the same product, quote unquote, that you were selling, what were they doing differently? Um, I think a lot of there's a lot of features and benefits, right, mm -hmm. where um, there were other schools in the Chicagoland area that were just saying, well, hey, look, you know, you get a laptop computer and you get uh, unlimited pens and notebooks right. and it was all features. Stuff. Features. So so they were let's just, that. just explain that because some people are features and benefits. I mean, when I first did sales training, I actually realized, oh, there's such a thing as features and benefits. But to you, it's it's normal. But for those who haven't done this, yeah. explain features is like what it is, right? Just product selling, right? Yeah. Which is um, in the school, I mean, in, in the context of, of, of a school, it would be we have really shiny uniforms, really awesome looking helmets. We have um, a really advanced computer lab yeah. with the most advanced computers. Doesn't matter what you're doing on them, it's just look at this, yeah. look at this place um, where there was no real substance to it. And that, and that, that was St. Ignatius for me, mm. which was you look at the hallways, you're like, wow, I totally want to be here. But you don't realize that the school, a lot of times, they weren't really angling towards helping me as a person. It was mm. just, you need to buy into the system or these features and utilize these features. Mm. So same thing you find in tech sales as well these days, that no one is to going down the Simon Sinek route. No one talks about why, why? you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. It's just what it is and, you know, kind of like... How fast it is. How fast it is. How much more memory it's got. Not... Like, actually, what is the benefit to me? You said, like, for example, for me as an individual, as a human being, what can this do, right? Yeah. You know, and it could help you learn something, get somewhere, become something. These are the, the benefits, right? And this is what people buy. And I think it, it's a key part of sales, isn't it? That, and we don't often know this until somebody spells it out, is that people buy on emotion and justify with logic. So if you ask somebody like, oh, why did you buy this phone? And said, well, it was on an offer or it's got a nice interface or, you know, I like the shape of it. The reason why they bought that phone is, is more emotional often. It's know? always emotional. I mean, um, so I've, I actually um, am trained with uh, Sandler Sales Training. Hmm. And they talk about the idea of buying emotions, right? Uh, pain in the present, uh, pain in the future, pleasure in the present and pleasure in the future right those are the four reasons why you buy something and they're ranked in that order right so if i were to sit here with you and say hey you know um graham this phone or well let's just see you can go even more crazy right, right this let's crazy. say um this pen, uh, so a pen, this pen. And, and let's say that that, that, that <laughs> let's say that that, that, that pen right for instance right. was um, a shot of morphine right 
right? Yeah. And I say, Graham, um, I'm going to sell you that shot of morphine for $5,000. Yeah. You're going to think I'm absolutely insane. Why? Because one, you're not in pain. Two, we're in a room that you can exit. Three, you can go to a hospital. You can call 999, whatever, right? What if we were locked in here and you suddenly had a gash somewhere and you were yeah. in extreme pain? That $5,000 conversation doesn't seem as crazy. Yeah. Because the pain is so, and it sounds morbid, but the pain is so excruciating that you can actually see the logic in the fact that you're experiencing pain in the present, not just the business pain. You can, we can get to how that links later, but the fact that you are in a actual painful scenario, mm. it, the cost probably wouldn't matter. You'd say, that doesn't sound crazy at all. I need this pain fixed. Mm. Now, let's take that out of that context and put it in business. Same thing. Right? What are the imminent pains? So it's always emotional. It's just how do you attach that emotion? And experienced salespeople, they have to take that emotional you, and that emotion heartstring, and you can do it with story as well. Get someone into a place emotionally because that is what's going to get them to make a decision. But as a responsible salesperson, you have to bring them back down to earth right. and say, okay, do you? Let's go through why you're doing this. Let's look at what your why you are having this buying emotion right now and does it really tie to a need that you really have that you really care about because buyer's remorse is real mm. the next day how many people buy things and the next day they're like what yeah why did i buy that it's because always they were buying with their heart yeah and then no one went through and said hey by the way as a responsible salesperson so you don't think i just sold your snake oil here mm. Are you sure you want this? Well, let's talk about that because yeah, sure. that, that happens to be an area. I mean, as a proud salesperson, I'm sure you've come across these conversations. I have as well, is that sales has picked up a reputation in some areas for being manipulative, like, you know, trying to find that connection between a product or a service and an emotion that doesn't exist or manipulate fears or negative emotions that may not be directly associated with a product, for example, you know, I mean, I used to sell financial products. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was, um, that was an area that picked up a lot of bad reputation because there was a lot of people making a lot of money selling products to people out of greed and fear. You know, we've seen the movie Boiler Room. You know, I worked in that environment, yep, yep. doing the 120 calls a day, yeah. all of that. I worked in that environment and people will buy stuff because they're emotional. And as you say, the remorse comes later on. But, you know, when you exist in an environment where that becomes the norm, that that can seem like a normal thing to do. You just want to kind of hit your targets and so on. And we watch these movies like Boiler Room and yeah. used car salespeople we yeah. experience. And this is the impression that we have or sell. So let's maybe put this right. Let's sort of redress the balance. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Gary Vee as well in a minute. I know when we get around to that. <laughs> but let's talk about that and use car yeah, sales. Absolutely. So, I mean, think about what a salesperson may have been at the turn of the century. I mean, your your average uh, retailer. I mean, you were seeing the, the show Selfridges, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a retail shop. And there was a certain level of respect with the idea of a salesperson or the blacksmith back in the day. I mean, these are salespeople. They have a product that they need to sell yeah. or a service that they need to sell, right? But the perception is, okay, I need help or I need a blacksmith or I need a, a, a scarf or I need a glove. I'm going to go to the specialist who does these things. Yes, they happen to be a salesperson, but there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, they're supposed to make money because they're doing a service for me. That's of need. It's mm -hmm. quality. I like it, right? Um, but there is a bit of history to this because if you look at the used car sales industry uh, or even just the car industry in general when it came to um, this large production um, in, in Detroit, mm. right, during the 50s and 60s, where you had a lot of homes suddenly coming into the emergence of the middle class America, where people were a family, you would get a house, the dog, the picket fence, the two kids, and what? A car. Yeah. That was part of American society. So they had this massive demand for cars, and the automotive production group was skyrocketing. What was happening was they had too many cars for the amount of people that were buying them at one point. Mm. So what you had in Motor City and across America, you had car salespeople sitting there saying, we need to get these cars off the lot. Because as soon as you get a car off the lot, it automatically depreciates in value. So oh. the goal was just getting the car off the lot and not 
providing a quality vehicle for that person. So it changed that entire industry. So what you got were the the stigma of the used car salesman or the car salesperson who is a little bit, is going to give you anything. So yeah, yeah, they were saying, yeah, it has anti-lock brakes or yeah, it has uh, air conditioning. Sure, it works. Per- it, the car works perfect. Hey, the tires are brand new. They were saying whatever they could to get that car off the lot. And what that did was that actually was, was able to skyrocket the profitability of the automotive industry, mm. but it hurt the perception of the car salesman. So at that particular moment, I would say like around the 70s, early 80s, it was the car salesman is a bad person. Not salespeople, but the car salesman yeah. was that. But then that moved into the cold call world in the 80s where you're looking at the finance, mm. right, in the finance world. So now they were taking consultants, and this is true, they are taking consultants who were advising in the automotive industry, right, because they're looking at the numbers only. They weren't looking at the, at the tactics. They were looking at the numbers, say, look at how much profit they got. Mm. Let's bring these guys over here and advise us on how to do our credit card systems or whatever. That's why you get the cold call from Citibank or whatever. Say, you know, they don't ask you any questions. They just say, look, you can get 10% off or there's a rebate system or this is a great gold card. They never ask you if you have one already. They just assume yeah. you don't and go off a script, right? So that's the 80s training. It worked for a while. And then it went into tech. People are just taking the same template of bad sales practices. So what that's done is that the standard, I would say, playbook for a sales department or a salesperson or the media and movies and stuff like that is that sales is seen as someone trying to get over. Or people use words like convince. Objections. You're, oh, yeah, you're a really good salesperson. Yeah. I, I always get that. Oh, you're such a good salesman. It's like, that sounds like I'm BSing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm actually trying to provide value. But the fact that I have the label of sales means that I'm automatically manipulating or trying to convince mm. or trying to get over or I'm not supposed to make as as much revenue from this as I should because I'm probably not telling the truth. And that has that history in that automotive sales kind of banking and then early tech cold calling the telemarketing space mm. is that people were doing whatever they could to get something converted and that's killing the brand of a salesperson. So it makes it harder now. Mm. You know, let's think about that a minute that we have those perceptions out there and that has what has become the public perception of sales used cars for, because everybody bought a car at one point. Yeah. However, also out there in the public domain, there's people like Steve jobs who mm. I believe, and want to hear your thoughts on this is probably one of the greatest salespeople Absolutely. of our generation, right? Absolutely. But not labeled a salesperson because of everything else that he did and, you know, his connection with Apple and so on. Yeah. But I think, you know, he is one of the greatest storytellers. And if you were to compare, for example, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, who in terms of wealth creation are pretty much that similar, mm-hmm. what they've done in terms of job creation, yet one has gone off and donated half of his wealth to saving mankind and yet not necessarily has done such a great PR job. Yeah. You know, it's all Steve Jobs versus Bill Gates. And we've actually seen them on stage together. And, you know, Steve Jobs is a much more articulate storyteller. And he, I think even in the, there's that later stage where they both sat for the first time in an interview. Yeah. And right. Steve Jobs turned around, Bill Gates and said, no, 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 Bill, let me tell the story. And he completely <laughs> owned him, right? Because yeah. he was such a better storyteller. Yeah. Yet he always, you know, he's idolized. Steve Jobs. But I think, you know, Bill Gates equally an amazing guy, an entrepreneur, what he's done and created and built and so on. Yet he's not a great storyteller. So mm-hmm. it's just an interesting comparison. So your thoughts on, on Steve, Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs is one of the best salespeople out there. You know why? Name me one time Steve Jobs ever asked you to buy anything. Never did. He never told you to buy Apple. He never told you to buy an iPod. He never told you to buy an iPhone. He never told you to buy a MacBook. He never told you not to buy a PC. He never really focused on the negatives versus right. positives. You know what he did? He lived his truth. And he said, hey, look, this is really cool. Here's some of the cool stuff that we're working on. Here's some of the problems that we can solve in your day-to-day. He was one of the top salespeople in the tech space who never actually needed to do a sales pitch because there was no point he had good products and those good products all he had to do was showcase the value and then people connected the dots themselves no different than any other salesperson should be doing in the tech space now i've never sold anybody in my life i've only presented value and i've allowed people to connect the dots to sell themselves Hmm. if you think you can push somebody 
to give you their money from a product, then you're going down a path that is not necessarily genuine in the sales world. And that's why it's funny. People always bring up Steve Jobs being such a great salesperson. I've never seen him on an infomercial saying, just for twenty nine ninety nine, you can buy it. Never. Yeah. It's always, this is what we're working on. Right. So there's a couple of interesting things you said, William. And I want to pull those up. Um, I want to come to that lived his truth part, because you mentioned that a couple of times. So let's come to that in a minute. The fact that Steve Jobs was, what, CEO of Apple and probably the most important salesperson in the organization. CEOs, are they the most important salespeople in an organization? Hmm. No. No, I mean, as a sales rep, uh, I would say, no, everybody, everybody on the sales team, well, everybody should be selling. Right. I mean, Th even that's an important point. Right? Everybody's a salesperson. Yeah. If you work for the company, if you wear the jersey, if you are HR, you're an engineer, if you're a webmaster, you kind of are selling yeah. whatever you, whatever label you're under or whatever product you're, you're. But you're, what does that mean for. though? Because it's not like you say infomercial style selling. Presenting value, your value within that company. Mm. If you're an engineer for Google, talk about what mm. Google's done for you. Talk mm. about how awesome uh, the projects are that you're working on mm. and how it ties into the broader organization. That's a sell. Yeah. If somebody hears that at a coffee shop, they're like, wow, yeah, maybe cool. I should look into that. Yeah. You know, if you, I mean, I, I watched up. Uh, there, there's a company called uh, Tableau, right? Mm. I'm doing a lot of shout outs today. I don't know if yeah, you're yeah, in trouble yeah. for this. But anyway, I was in this uh, conference with the Tableau guys, and you had 10 different people in Tableau, all different positions, and they all had this vibe of they knew exactly what they did for the company. They absolutely loved it. They felt inspired, and they knew what their company was there to do. Yeah. They all had a story behind why they're doing what they're doing, whether they're an engineer, a programmer, a salesperson, a marketer, whatever. And it made you want to Google Tableau and mm. say, man, what are they doing? They must be doing something amazing because yeah. all 10 people, they do different roles, and they are in this. They're really in this, and they are selling this to me without me even really knowing fully what it did. This is some years ago. I, I know what they do now. But at the time, I'm like, wow, that inspired me to dig it to dig deeper into what yeah. they do and send them referral business because I say, hey, look, you know these these guys are great. That's selling. That's when everybody knows what they're there to do. They're presenting value. Their connection to that value, but not a single person in that room asked me, hey, would you like to sign up right. or would you like to buy something? Like that's where right. people get it confused. Absolutely. Well, that kind of links into this idea of living your truth. Yeah. Now you've mentioned it a couple of times. So what exactly do you mean by that? I mean, being complete, why um, do we tend to believe that in the sales world that we need to hide information or omit mm. certain facts mm. or That's the not, used car thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, just not, and not, not giving people the real reality of the terrain. I mean, maybe there's a product that's better than yours. Mm. And even as an experienced salesperson, you could say that. You can actually, and which is yes. very strange, yeah. right? You can say, by the way, this one's better. I mean, here's some of the things that I said that we bring to the table in comparison to them. You have to make your decision here, but you know, this is what we think that we are the strongest at. Mm. And this is how we can help you based on everything you've indicated. But honestly, you could spend a little bit more. Or, hey, look, this, this product might be good for you as well. Make your own decision. So many times I've been that upfront and honest. It's amazing to see how many people go, wow, that's... It's disarming, well, isn't it, in many cases? Well, yeah, they expect you to lie. They yeah, expect you to, yeah. like, no, I'm going to tell you the truth. We're strong here. We're building to be like this. But look, we do this very well. Which mm. means that all the things that I say from there on, they know is 100% truthful. Mm. Because I gave you the option to go check out a competitor or check out a superior product. I gave you that. So now you know when I say we can do this very well, I'm obviously telling the truth because mm. I didn't try to convince you to buy me. Mm. Right? I showed the value, some of the disadvantages, some of the some of the advantages. Usually when they go to competitors, they're not gonna get the same honesty because they're on the old template. No, no, we're the best. And don't go to them. We yeah. can do everything perfect. Well, they, they, they sort of sneer like, why did you buy these guys? When yeah. you know that sort of awful attitude, like And that's just being dishonest. That's not living your truth. That's yeah. not showing real value. Mm. Real value is that, yeah, you can accept the, the, the good, the bad, the confusing, and the gray. I mean, we, we say very clear, upfront expectations, setting conversations. Like, look, there's some ambiguity. Mm. <laughs> like, you're not going to, this is going to be a gray area. In the first two months, you're not going to know what's going to happen, or maybe you may not see mm. something, or whatever. We don't sell people a, a, a dishonest story. And that's, I think, what's most important about 
sales in general is if you are an honest salesperson and upfront, then you're not going to have clients that are coming back to you confused or mystified or anything like mm. that. And I'd say that that's something that Steve Jobs did a really good job of. This is cool. This is great. This is what it does. This is what mm. it doesn't do. Mm. This is the direction that we're going. This is why. Mm. That's it. You know, and you can connect the dots if you want to buy it. You can connect the dots if you think it's cool. Right? Yeah. I think it's cool. What do you think? Right? And at that point, people buy into that narrative, and that allows them to have the respect that they have for a company like Apple. Mm. Right? Yeah, well, I think it's great that you are setting the record straight for sales because, you know, especially the tech space in which we're in, it's not necessarily one that is especially here in Asia as well, is that well-known for great salesmanship or salespeople, right? Mm. You know, often it's build it and they will come or, <laughs> you know, we come from engineering roots as well where it's like build it and then, you know, sales is the sales department's problem, right? Yeah, exactly. And we've yeah. seen, for example, like Apple have sort of addressed that, but that's a a US company here in Asia. Um, I know we're sort of coming around to Asia, but before we do that, there's somebody that we have to... <laughs> <laughs> reference Gary V now because I, I, I think you know it's great to have you here because um, we've talked about sales and what sales is and what sales isn't yes. the value of sales you know and I've been a, an entrepreneur for 25 years and I've sat well, 20, 20 years nearly giving my age away there but the point is I sat with everybody in my companies and I said look companies fail in the long run because of sales, you know, either the cost is higher than the sales or the sales is lower than yeah. the cost, right? So it's obvious, sales is the lifeblood of any business. It's vital. Sure. It's what we're all about. No matter what you're doing, if you're building an iPhone or you are doing peer-to-peer -peer finance or whatever, blockchain, it's all sales at the end of the day. Conversions. So. Well, I would say that, you know, most companies fail because they don't understand their sales and they're being underlined, right? Um, sales sometimes, it, it, it can have its pluses and minuses depending on the quarter, but I would say most businesses don't understand how their products should be selling or how they can sell. They just have this idea in their mind of saying, look, I believe we should be a billion dollar company in 12 months because <laughs> I bought it and three of my friends bought it and I'm the owner of the company. I believe that my sales cycle is one day. And it's like, no, <laughs> that's Doesn't not how it works. Like it yeah. doesn't work like that. Like, right. you know, we, we just spoke to 2,000 people and only three people really responded to an email or a call, right? Mm. That's your sales cycle, right? That's your conversion rate in terms of a lead. But a lot of business owners believe that the sales should be dictated based on how they see them and not based on how they are in the market. So what happens is the sales people end up getting these devil horns painted on them where it's like, well, now the salespeople are not doing their job. But really mm. it's like, well, are you training your salespeople? And also are you looking at the market from a realistic lens, not from an ego that you believe this is going to succeed? It's like that that's not how you should look at sales. You should look at like, okay, what's happening? How many people have you spoken to? What have they said? Let's take that information mm. back. Let's make an adjustment on how we approach mm. what our value is. Right. And that's the key thing. That's the science, though, in sales as well. There's a that's process the and there's a discipline there, which not a lot of people appreciate. I mean, if you go into right. Salesforce and look at what they've done, they've shown yeah. that there is a science and a process in sales. There really is. And Salesforce is great for the, I would say, the sales admin. Mm. But where is the, who's speaking on behalf of the sales rep? The person out there having to do the cold approach. Yeah. The person out there who gets rejected five times in an hour. Right? Can we talk about mm -hmm. rejection? Yeah, we can't talk about rejection Are for you, sure. You, you, well, that, that's kind of where the Gary Vee thing was. Like, yeah. I, I, I saw this uh, clip on, on LinkedIn. I don't know if you guys have it queued up. but No, we uh, don't. We, no, but we put a link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Talk cool. us through it. So there's this uh, Gary. Now, let me let me preface this by saying I really think Gary Vee is, is, is awesome. I myself uh, was looking at a few of his videos and all that. But then I started to see some content that started to go outside of, I think, what he should be kind of covering. Mm. Or there's this one video where he talks about how you should fire your top salesperson because your salesperson is probably a jerk and they're producing the numbers and everybody who is over this salesperson is letting it happen and we should do a piece on why you should fire your top salesperson. And he says, that will kill. That will like really get a big buzz. And immediately it'll give the HR the power to go to the, the CEO and say, we need to fire John tomorrow right. and he'll be fired. But why, why did he say that? Cause I'm sure you, I mean, you must've taken that out of context. Nobody surely didn't say that. He, he put it out of context. So right. it's a soundbite. So I'm sure it was a broader conversation. Yeah. Um, 
And he can try to clean it up in the, um, I guess you can say the, um, the excerpt that he put over the video right. where he changed the wording a bit where he said, well, you're, you're a top salesperson if they are a jerk, right? But that's not what he said in the video, right? right? Yeah. And the reason why that's dangerous is you know, somebody like him who has such a huge platform, he has a lot of respect. I mean, I know he's in Singapore a lot. You know, I know he's advising a lot of people and a lot of people look to him to kind of shape their business or to find some type of a, 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 of a metric, right? Yeah. Um, but the dangers of what he did was, with that particular video, was that he's giving, it's almost like a false prophet. I mean, he's giving information out that really doesn't apply to all businesses. And two, your top salesperson doesn't necessarily have to be a jerk. They could be very successful. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe if they are a jerk or maybe if they are doing things that are shady in order to be the top salesperson, why are you looking at the sales rep? Hmm. Why are you looking at their manager? Why aren't you looking at sales ops? Why aren't you looking at the CEO? Why is the solution to his point to go to HR and to fire John tomorrow? Maybe fire John's boss tomorrow for letting that happen and letting a mm. bad sales culture pollute the entire organization, which is far more deadly than the rep Absolutely. doing well. Clearly that, that rep has some fire under them and they will operate in whatever boundaries that they're allowed, right? If they're allowed to stretch those boundaries, then of course they're mm. probably going to take that opportunity. They may or may not be a jerk, but no one looks at the leadership. No one looks at the managers. No one looks at the CEOs mm. that are letting this happen and that are kind of allowing this, the, these numbers to churn through, which he kind of references, but the, the solution is fire the sales rep. So yeah. I had to defend the salesperson and say, Gary, what are Absolutely. you doing? Absolutely, yeah. And he's right. never been on a sales floor before, well, so I took that's it personally. A, that's another thing, yeah, he, he doesn't know. And you know as well, I mean, that sort of natural assumption that to be the top salesperson, you've got to be a jerk. Yes. That, that has to be dealt with. And I've had that challenge as well because, you know, again, I've, my head's been filled by media assumptions and I've worked in very sort of male macho sales environments where that is sort of a behavior which is encouraged. Yet, you know, and then I've been on the other side as, as a CEO recruiting people and I've looked for that in my sort of very ballsy, very sort of testosterone salespeople and they weren't the best ones. And interestingly, the best salespeople I ever had were interestingly women. Mm -hmm. You know, and they weren't that sort of like macho, bravado, like, you know, the strong arm sales. Yeah. They were just people who were very good at process, um, were not forceful. They were, you know, just really good at relationships and hustling in their own way. You know, they weren't mm -hmm. sort of hustling like, you know, I'm not leaving until you sign this no, contract. Not works. that type at yeah. all. They were just people who were really good at understanding people's pain and, you know, trying to listen to people and yeah. just work through a process. And that's completely challenged me because I had this image that it was a used car sales man that I needed yeah. to you know, go out and field sell and all that kind of thing, but it wasn't, it was something yeah. different. So the top salesperson doesn't have to be a jerk and often isn't. Often isn't, I mean, I'm, I'm an introvert completely, which is weird because I have to put on an extroverted uh, persona sometimes to sell, but being an extroverted persona doesn't mean I'm type A. And I'm mm. bulldozing and kicking the door in to try to get someone to buy something. Usually introverts tend to be pretty effective salespeople because they listen, right? And the whole point is listening. 90% of a sell is me listening, right? If, if, you're, if I have a burger shop, right, and I try to sell you a burger mm. and I haven't listened to the fact that you're a vegan. Yeah, ain't going anywhere. Now, you told me that you're hungry. Right, yeah. so I'm like, I got burgers. I'm this is our best-selling burger. Yeah, take it. it's like I need to take a second to figure out. Well, what do you yeah. eat? And if yeah. I learned that you're vegan, I know. Okay, that burger's off the table. <laughs> Maybe I can sell you some fries though, right. you know, and a, and a Coca-Cola, right? Because yeah. now we're 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 in vegan land now, right? But you know, I think that that's that's one one of the the key things about a sales personality is actually nothing like what you would think in the media. And that point that Gary was making, that just assumption that odds are your top salesperson is a jerk. What? I've never seen most of the top salespeople I know are really charismatic, personable, help yeah. you take the jacket off their back and put it on you type people because that is the sell. It's the connection. Mm. In a bad, like a, 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 a jerk of a top salesperson is not going to get repeat business. So it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Because most of your sales career is based on your portfolio, your Rolodex, your your little black book, your your phone contacts, right? How, if you're a jerk, if you're somebody who has been bad to your peers, your colleagues or whatever over the last few years, well, they're going to be promoted and eventually they will be sales leads in other companies. Mm. 
and you've been a jerk? That doesn't make sense. So from an actual logical standpoint, most salespeople are, are actually very truthful people, very straightforward people. They may not have the best training on how to position their value, which is, that's a different point. But most salespeople, if they're doing anything, they are probably doing an honest sell most yeah. of the time. Yeah, absolutely. In in the end, they win out. Yeah, in long, the long term, the karma it, it pays out. Relationships, yeah. absolutely. So I want to um, throw a couple of ideas out there onto the table, and we just sort of talk about them. Is that one? We all live by selling. There's many different types of selling, which is, you know, you could be somebody doing 120 calls a day. That's the type of selling. Or you could be somebody who's writing and selling. You know, writing through. You know, putting content out on the web. Absolutely. Different types of selling, and then. The other one, which is not often talked about and would like your thoughts on this, is that I believe that the best experience for any entrepreneur, you know, better than going into an accelerator, um, is to get sales experience in some form. You know, whether that could be working in Starbucks, Absolutely. you know, or working in a record store or, you know, whatever it is, or selling, you know, like over the phone, whatever it may be. I believe that teaches you so much about you know all the things we talked about today like rejection listening process and so on so just those sort of thoughts to work with you yeah. know we all live by selling and sales experience and how important that is for entrepreneurs absolutely i mean i would say yeah and, and sales experience doesn't only mean jumping into a um business development representative role doing the cold calls where i mean people start there um i was a bartender before uh, i feel like bartenders are awesome salespeople. teachers oh, yeah. teachers are so great tell us so about that bartending is yeah, so i was a bartender in college you know it's amazing because you see people walk into the bar they're one way yeah. and they're spending one particular way and then you watch them throughout the night as the drinks are going in and how they kind of change as people but you're still interacting with them and you're changing how you're interacting with them throughout the night and it's fascinating to see how that loyalty comes and then when they come back there's a connection because you've mm. seen them throughout the entire cycle and now they're coming back and they look at you and say you know what we're doing tonight hey this is how this is going to go and you have that relationship and your tips are going up because your tips are based on a lot of that. So you have this connection, but also teachers as well yeah, are amazing yeah. salespeople. I mean, we, we, we hire teachers off the bat. If you're a teacher and like, we will put you on the sales floor immediately because you have to stand up in front of a bunch of people every single day and go through a curriculum and, you have to wing it. People will ask questions that you don't necessarily expect and you have to find answers for those questions or you mm. need to, and also you need to live your truth too because you're not going to give false information to students, right? So you are trying to stay within your truth to deliver the curriculum. So teachers are great salespeople. Servers as well, like individuals who are in restaurants, right? They have to deal with different types of clientele. They have to deal with, um, you know, the angry client, the, the picky food eater. They have to showcase what um, is the, you know, the special of the day, right? Mm. They have to articulate that. They yeah. have to sit there and really explain to the person sitting there, you know, what are some things that they could potentially order on, on mm. the menu? Flight attendants as well. They have to yeah. deal with so many different types of personalities, speak to them, interact with them, get the social cues. That's, in some ways, I would say the gym for sales, right? Because once you understand those skill sets and understand how those skill sets have nothing to do with the industry that you're in, they're skill sets that you're developing yourself, you can apply them to close an enterprise deal mm. easily. Mm. All you have to do is just get some training on saying, look how you were able to manage this. Now you can go and use it in this way and here's a million dollar deal that's been closed, mm. right? Just because you, you didn't change anything, you're the same person, you've just been able to apply it in a different space. Those are very interesting points. Bartenders, teachers, service, flight attendants. Flight attendants. Yeah, they're, they're all people who put themselves out there in the public eye. Every day. In front of people and very vulnerable as well. Mm, awesome. In a sense, you're not hiding behind a computer. You're out there and you just have to take it. Whatever that person's going to say, if they're in a bad mood, you have to take it. You have to deal with people and, you know, you have to enjoy interacting with people as well. And it's easier when those people transition to, let's say, being an inside seller, a cold caller, because now they've had to deal with people face to face all yeah. the time. Now you have them on the phone. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, this is a lot it's easier than yeah, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can hide. Yeah. I, I remember actually um, in my research business, one of the most successful salespeople that I had, um, and if he's listening, a shout out to him, you know who you are, was a, a store manager for Zara Clothes. Yeah. There you go. In in the early days before Zara got really big, he was yeah. you know he 
which is effectively a retail and a sales role where you, you walk in and go, hey, William, or, you know, I wouldn't know your name, but like, you yeah. know, what are you looking for? You're looking for a suit or, you know, have you looked at this color or you need a hat and stuff like that. Yeah. And in a way, that is a great sales role because there isn't really a structure to it in the sense that, you know, that any, anybody can come in for any type of product. You don't know who they are, what they're looking for, and you're having to physically get quite close to them as well and, you know, walk around the store and stuff like that. But he was an amazing salesperson, you know, and very patient as well. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily that sort of aggressive or, you know, type A personality more like some of the, the roles that you talked about like flight attendants and teachers as well just people who put themselves out there in an environment where you know they're exposed you know um i think that says something about what makes a great salesperson because um, sales is a service and all the the roles that i mentioned are service roles right mm -hmm. you're trying to help people you're trying to help people find a drink or trying to serve somebody food. You're trying to um, give information from an educational standpoint or you're trying to help someone have a, a more pleasant flight, right? A salesperson is actually, in its core, mm. a role that is of service. I'm here trying to showcase some value that could potentially help you, not to force it down your throat. Right. It's to simply say, hey, look, this is very interesting stuff. Maybe you might want to look at it Think about it. Maybe it's good for you. If not, that's fine. One day it may be. So usually that's a B-type personality. It's more of the introvert to showcase the value but to step back a bit mm. and to say, I'm not going to make this decision for you or even make you think that I'm going to try to. I'm simply going to showcase this and for you to connect the dots and I'm always here to talk about it. Mm. That's a stronger salesperson because then not only will you get that close, you will get referrals. You're a trusted advisor at that point. You're you're close to this person. That sell was a real sell. Mm. Can we talk about that just in finishing up about yeah. that in tech and for those who are startup founders, mm. um, maybe slightly on the technical side, mm. engineering side, the builders, the creators, the engineers, and so on. They make stuff. They're not natural salespeople, or they don't think they're natural salespeople because of that sort of persona. Yeah, yeah, the stigma, right? Um, but they need to get out there. They need to tell their story. They need to get off their ass out of their comfort zone and, and you know, go out and share that with the world. Um, they don't necessarily have to make 120 cold calls a day, but they just need to kind of like convey their their story and their value to the world. Are there, you know, are there sort of patterns with these these type of startup founders where you can easily identify, you know, the hacks or the quick fixes where they can say, look, this is really going to help you, um, you know, that maybe you're not a, a salesperson in your own self perception or your own image, but I find if you do these things or take these simple steps, it will really help you in getting your message out there because you're kind of in your own world here, sat yeah. coding your app, nobody knows about it. Yeah. What kind of works, really? What are the quick fixes for these guys? Well, a lot of the, the companies and a lot of the business leaders that I see here, I mean, there are a lot of reasons for this on, on one end, and I can get into that later. But um, not thinking about the sell is the best sell ever. So you don't need to be a salesperson. Just mm. what do you do? What is, what is your product? What does it do? What is the manifesto? What is it standing for? Right. Right. Um, what is this company standing for? What is it here to do? Why is it cool? And why would people find it interesting? That is sales. Forget the 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 call to action, right? We have all yeah. these phrases, and make sure you need to have a hook question to get someone in. That lead it to the salespeople. That that that's an art in itself, right? We know how to move things through the pipe to get a yes or no, right? And a no is just as important as a yes mm -hmm. in the sales world. If you tell me no, I'm equally as happy yeah, as yeah. if you tell me yes, because I'm like, great, now I know where you are, cool, we've had a great connection, see ya. But if someone who doesn't see themselves as a salesperson, if they can just simply articulate what it, what, it, what it does and very clearly articulate what it does. I mean, we call it an elevator pitch, forget the buzzword. Mm. What does your product do? for the world and why is it interesting in 30 seconds. Hmm. That's all you have to have. If you can do that, you will sell a lot more than you think because you can clearly, that's one thing Steve Jobs is really good at, you can clearly and concisely articulate what this thing is and why it's cool hmm. and why people should care. That's the only reason why we think he's a great salesperson is because he was able to simplify very complex hardware for people to grasp. 
Mm-hmm. Right. The guy sold us a tablet that's been a technology for 40 years. And we've had tablets before. Now we have an iPad, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was an amazing keynote. But really, it's 40-year technology. You just optimized it, right? Yeah. But he was able to simplify why this would matter. The, the idea of the iPhone and the laptop being too far apart from each other, so having something in the middle. Now, that is a pure sales pitch because tablets have been around, but it was fantastic because he showcased a value and let people make their own decisions on whether or not they wanted to buy it. He never said buy this. What you find with a lot of companies out here, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that they you know, have had large uh, investments, so they're really stressed out and trying to prove out some of the investments that they've gotten, the VC funds, et cetera. So they're really trying to run yeah. to try to can get something going, right? The growth story, yeah. So the problem with that is that it's affecting their ability to actually can get what they need out of the equation, which is you have to forget revenue for a minute and make a good product and be customer-centric, right? You want the user, the, the consumer, or the customer, whatever, to understand and really feel what this thing does mm. and if they can feel what it does the the revenue and the sales will come but you have to stand for something how many companies here can have their message out there that show that they stand for this particular thing and this is where their business is trying to provide value for mankind or for Singapore kind or for Asia pack kind mm. or whatever. Very few companies are having that narrative and that's the sell. You don't you don't need a sales team right. to try to we don't have a list of features and right? benefits. That's Let's, let me get the get the CEO there on a podcast or or on a, mm. a YouTube channel or do a press release and say we find this is an issue and we are standing to try to fix it. Right. So let me ask you about that. You a really interesting point about standing for something. Yeah. And does that mean when you stand for something, you also don't stand for something else? Because I don't want to mm. get semantic here, but it's like when you stand for something, you're you're sort of planting a flag and saying, we're about this. And the problem is that sometimes in tech, you end up being about everything because, you know, development guys say, hey, put that in, and then, you know, the, the Marcoms guy, can you make the logo bigger? And you're making a clear stand, like Apple made a clear stand that we're about this, but we're not about that, yeah. right? So, I mean, is this a part of the process as well, is that you say, hey, look, you know, this is what we're about, and y- y- we're not for these guys, because that's not what we're about. Mm-hmm. Well, look at what Google did, right? What, what's in their manifesto? Taking the knowledge of the world and make it making it readily available mm-hmm. to the common man, right, for free. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Google is, taking information. Now, that turned into media, that turned into YouTube, and it's turned into email, that's turned into maps. So we can, information is everywhere, right? Your maps, your point A to point B, or your YouTube video content. I mean, all this stuff is information. It still fits within the manifesto of what it's standing for. It's getting you information right. in one place at ease, right? So if you are Food Panda, Right, your message is we are trying to make uh, the connection between F and B and the common person uh, more seamless. Whatever, mm. right? Mm. Whatever it is, stand stand for something. Now, now F and B can change, right? That can turn into um, an honest B, whatever, right? I mean, it can turn into a lot of other things. Food Panda could have changed and, and had a, a Red Mart scenario or whatever. But where are these companies showcasing and, and openly saying? We stand for this particular thing, mm. and every move that you see us make as a company will also fit in that narrative. Mm. And it's a simple one to two liner, right. right? What do you stand for? But how do I get there? This, this is like, I mean, I've gone mm. through these sort of like restless nights lying in yeah. bed, and then, what are we about? And you know, when you hear it with so much simplicity, like with Google. You wonder if that came like in the early days naturally, or they brought in a consultant <laughs> to try to. Yeah. Right? What is our mission statement? You know, let's yeah. let's brainstorm this. And where does that come from? Because I guess the listeners want to know. You know, I have a food panda or an honest bee or a cloud enterprise sales organization. You know, how do I get to that sort of clarity? I know it's not going to come overnight, but is there a process that I can take and go through that's going to help me do that? Can I talk to certain people? Do I have to do certain things to help me get closer to that sort of message that you're talking about? I would say it can't come from anyone else but the actual person who's starting it. And I think that the worst thing is if you were to go to a consultant, because then that yeah. would actually change. It's not from the heart. It's not living your truth. Yeah. Right? You're not living your truth at that point. You now are getting advice on how good this could sound to convince 
people to just that totally takes it in the opposite direction. Yeah. Whoever is the business leader and the business owner needs to sit down and say, I wanted to make a food delivery service or I wanted to make a taxi application. I wanted to make a grocery store app. I wanted to make an e-commerce platform. I get that I can want to do this specific thing, but why do I want to do it? And what is it doing for the region that I'm targeting? Mm. Now, let me think of the manifesto to say in the event that it's not dependent on anything, in the event that the that a grocery store was to shut down, a company like Honest Bee should say that has nothing to do with what we stand for. Mm. We just happen to be providing the link between a grocery store and people. But what we stand for actually sits way beyond that, right? We can do a lot of different things. I mean, I love what they're doing with laundry and all that. They're just mm. connecting mm-hmm. services, right? So that's a prime example of the 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 mission is above your initial kind of starting point. So I think that it comes from, yeah, you need a starting point. You need something that you that's going to get you in the business, right? But why do you want to do that? What is it really doing for the world, and why does it matter? It shouldn't be dependent on anything. It should be an independent idea that has dependencies. Hmm. That's kind of how I would see it or how yeah. I work, work through it. It's a, it's, a, it's a journey as well, trying to find that. Completely. And, you know, like you say, it's got to be the founders, the founder, and I think they've got to have conversations with people and keep talking and keep talking until, you know, you hear it reflected back on you. You know, because Google didn't come up with that day one. Oh, of course not. That was from a yeah. lot of conversations and filtered through lots of people and reflected back on them and refined and until, you know, they thought, oh, that's what it's about. Yeah. So you you got to keep talking about it. But how often are business owners taking time not thinking about revenue mm. and profit? Because it takes a mind that is not thinking about money or conversions or sales revenue to really can reflect and look into the stars and say, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, you, it cannot be money-based. Like, oh, this is really good because there's a, you know, there, there, there's an angle here. That's the worst. Because you're t- talking about an angle, or you're talking about we could potentially be a billion-dollar company if we do this because there's just so many people in this place. Yeah, yeah. That's where it gets, it's, it's a problem. And it that's where wrong, you're, yeah. you're losing the inspiration right you're you're there for the money you're not there for the idea the why and the idea is well that i mean exactly as well and you know it it's a a nice sort of seg into the whole idea of like you know hopefully why you're here why we're talking why people should write and they podcast i know you publish articles as well you know and you know why we should um do this is because that process of storytelling and and telling that back to other people and even you know when i'm talking to you i'm in a way teaching myself in my own head like that process of getting it out there and crystallizing my thoughts is one step closer towards that why. Because, you know, when we have these conversations, we're not necessarily thinking about, okay, is the revenue com- ticking through as we're having this conversation? Like we're, we're taking time out of that to talk through these ideas and crystallizing it and bounce them back off each other. You know, that's why I enjoy doing this with people like yourself with who have these ideas as well, because I can almost echo and hear my own thoughts come back on me as well, which is great. Because then, you know, that sort of makes sense. Somebody else is validating it for you. So that process of talking to people, putting yourself out there, publishing, podcasting, video, writing, public speaking, whatever it may be, presenting in some form is a great way to get to that why. And the closer you get to that why, the better your sales message becomes. You become a salesperson. You become a sales pitch naturally. But part of putting yourself out there, which is another piece of sales, which isn't so positive, publishing, putting yourself out there, coming up with your message that you need to be prepared for the great white shark coming in there and attacking it, yeah. poking at it. And you need to have a strong chin to be able to take those hits and to be able to take the feedback and to make your adjustments. Admit when you're wrong. Admit when you've gone left. Admit when, hey, look, you know what? That, that, made, that probably didn't make any sense, you know? Mm. And not taking yourself too seriously. And that's the thing. I mean, I try to never take myself that seriously, ever. Like, I am the first one to laugh at myself. Yeah. Because that there's a certain liberating power in that. The fact that you can, I can come up with an idea or some type of a manifesto or some type of mission in, in our company, and then I'll have a, a new hire tell me, well, that's ridiculous. Let me explain why. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to feel any type of way other than like, oh, this was a really good point. <laughs> you know, hey, let's go, let's go with this. Let's, yeah. let's see, right? There's no ego we here. There's no, yeah, absolutely. Take the hits. You know, when you put yourself out there, be okay and open to rejection, that's also the next step of the sales process as well, mm-hmm. being a salesperson. It's never, notice I'm not talking about pitching. 
It's about your message and it's about being able to take rejection and being able to take hits and maybe people poking at that message and going through that. That's no different than what a salesperson does on a cold call or a pitch. It's a message. You may mm. poke at it. That's okay. I'm not perfect. Cool. Yeah. But we're going to figure something out and maybe not. Right? It may not work or it may work. That's sales. And any business owner can do that tomorrow. And they don't have to have massive sales experience and close million dollar deal. It doesn't matter. Just live your truth. Speak what's interesting to you. Articulate it clearly and concisely. And then be open to feedback. Welcome to sales. That's it. You know. Awesome. Well, yeah. what a great way to end. William Gilchrist, yeah. everybody. Concert. It's cool. been fantastic having you here. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed that. And um, I enjoy the banter and oh, the the you know the sparring of ideas and I, I really like what you're doing and what you stand for and you know I, I guess listeners as well may be interested to find out more about you best place to check you out would be where well consig uh, k-o-n-s-y-g www.konsyg.com and as a true salesperson you don't need to buy us just check us out that's right you let it do the talking let us do the talking awesome man. great <laughs> to have you here thanks for having me really You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.